0: Seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free, nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at debraprinsing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 389. Our first sponsor spotlight and thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Robin Tabor of Blue Door Farm in Grand Junction, Colorado. So listen for our conversation at the close of this episode. Today we're crossing into gardening and cooking, two topics that are closely aligned with floristry, flower farming, and the ways we use plants in our lives. As many of you know, I spent much of my writing career focused on horticulture, gardening, and landscape design topics. And my roots are deep in the garden writing community, so whenever possible, I enjoy sharing those connections with the Slow Flowers community. Because many of you come from these closely related disciplines, I know you'll enjoy today's interview with my friend Sue Getz. Sue is the owner of The Creative Gardener based in Tacoma, Washington. She's a certified professional horticulturist, an author, speaker, and award-winning designer. I consider Sue a sister because we share the same book publisher, St. Land's Press. While I've been writing and documenting the Slow Flowers Movement, Sue has been writing, designing, and photographing inspiring books about herbs. Her first book, The Herb Lovers Spa Book, is filled with ideas and recipes about growing fragrant herbs in your garden and how to use them to create a luxury spa experience. Her newest book just out, A Taste for Herbs, moves from the aromatherapy into the culinary realm. I asked Sue to join me here on the Soulflowers podcast to talk about her favorite subject. I'm sure you're growing herbs, and I know this conversation will spark new ideas for what, how, and why to add more herbs to your garden, farm, containers, or greenhouse. Here's more about Sue Gatz. Sue is a garden designer, writer, and speaker. Through her garden design business, The Creative Gardener, she works with clients personalizing garden spaces from the seasonal tasks to the design of large projects. Sue's garden design work has earned gold medals at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, including the Sunset Magazine Western Living Award, the Fine Gardening Best Design Award, and the American Horticultural Society Environmental Award. Her home garden was featured in Northwest Home and Garden Magazine, as well as in Country Gardens Magazine. Writing and speaking are Sue's favorite ways to share her love of gardening. Her motto, inspiring gardeners to create— Defines all of her talks with hands on workshops, how to's, and other projects that inspire creativity in and out of the garden. In 2012, she was named Educator of the Year by the Washington State Nursery and Landscape Association. Sue is a member of GardenCom, formerly the Garden Writers Association, and her work has appeared in numerous newspapers and magazines. She's also a member of APLD, the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, and the Northwest Horticultural Society. Sue lives in gardens in Washington State. She has three daughters who, no matter how far they roam can still call home for some of mom's fragrant herbal concoctions. You'll want to check out today's show notes for episode 389 to see photos of Sue plus her book and a few bonus herb recipes. I'll also share her social links so you can find and follow her herb-filled life. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, and I am so excited today to introduce my friend, Sue Getz. Hi, Sue. Hi. Great to have you uh, with me. We were going to meet in person, but we only live, I don't know, 20 miles away from each other, (laughs) but we're in the middle of Snowmageddon here in in Seattle, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, we're a little buried under, but you know, the the view out the window. Window is good, <laughs> just not driving. <laughs> well, uh, I'm so glad that the
0: timing is perfect to have you on as a guest, Sue, because you have a brand new book out called A Taste for Herbs. And Sue and I have a lot of a lot of connections going back more than a decade. And uh, one is that we have the same publisher, St. Lin's Press. This is your second book with St. Lin's Press, and your first book, uh, the Herb Lover's Spa Book, which is wonderful, is available still in print it's only been out for a couple of years right
1: yeah yeah 2015 so a few years so that's that's just another um part of using herbs that was more skin care and health focused and now the new one is a little more food and flavor focused i love it I, I i particularly
0: loved it when i received a copy of um the herb lovers spa book and saw a picture of my former garden in southern california in the opening <laughs>
1: pages Yeah. (laughs) And I'm inspired by so many people's gardens. So yours was one of them for sure. Well, I, I just, I have flashbacks. I, this
0: morning I was thinking about when you came to visit, uh, you were scouting and photographing Uh and we had a really nice, uh, dinner, um, out on the back patio. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know I was going to be coming back to Seattle. So it was really right. fun to see you down there.
1: So, right. You, right. So, <laughs> so, so,
0: your business is called the creative gardener and you have a you're totally a mosaic professional as Mary Kate Mackey would say, like you have a lot of balls in the air. Can you describe what you, you know, kind of your business and how you fit into the horticulture world?
1: Sure. So, um, it's a true joy for me, and and creative gardener. When I first grabbed that name many many years ago, it was really just defining all the ways we could do things in our garden and be creative about it. So, what I get to do, um, which brings me joy every day, is I'm a landscape designer. So, I help people be inspired by their space. And then the other, you know, side of what I do is is speaking and writing and. I think I wrote in this Taste for Herbs book a little bit of um, thank you to people who come to the workshops and listen to me speak because it's really a joy for me to watch people out in their own space become gardeners and love what they do. And and if I have a part of that where I can share – here's what you can do to be successful, then that's what I think defines my business really well.
0: That's really neat. And I I have to say that last summer when we did that book signing together in, or was it two summers ago, I guess it was in 2017. Um, it was around July 4th. I had just finished the um, Slow Flower Summit. I was mm-hmm. completely exhausted. We went into this book <laughs> signing and it, it was at a bookstore. So like there was no slideshow or anything. And I just was there to talk about slow flowers but i had no visual aids you walk in with this giant basket of <laughs> flow overflowing with uh, aromatic herbs and i was sat there and watching i was like god this girl has got her game on
1: <laughs> it was fun i mean i love it it's like it's a sensory moment right and if i can get that off a page or out of a slideshow or whatever that that's what i love to do <laughs>
0: right i mean that was so brilliant the way you had t- little little uh bundles of herbs you had just cut out of your garden and then you pass them around so people could rub them and smell them and uh, kind of get a sense of the real plant while you were talking about its benefits I, I thought that was yeah. brilliant
1: yeah yeah you it's, do that it's a so, lot it's yeah it's it's so multi-dimensional for me because I it's like when I'm like oh you should smell this rosemary and then people are like you know they get a little bit of blank moment until I pass it around like oh yeah that's that's you know, what it smells like. So, so that's why I always try to try to bring what I can cut out of my garden so we can have a little show and smell time. Show and smell. I know, seriously. (laughs) Well,
0: as some of these herbs that um, are your favorites kind of were, you know, took up a lot of of space in the herb lovers spa book, but because of their kind of uh, aromatherapy qualities or their skincare qualities, but then they're also showing up in a taste for herbs because they're you can use them in culinary, uh, projects. So how, Mm -hmm. I mean, is that, those are the two main categories where people are drawn to herbs for like
1: health and body care and then, then eating and eating. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, um, have another talk that's, that's pretty popular and it really is, um, all about kind of the diversity of herbs. So, you know, touching on the skincare aromatherapy and now a taste for herbs, which is really how, herb flavors Mm. come into your world, Mm -hmm. but then also you know, I love to look at um, what herbs do in a landscape, the pollinator collection that they do. Mm -hmm. There's some, and you know, just on your side of the world, there's some pretty cool cut flowers that come out of some herbs too. So, you know, there's, I think, I mean, it's like, maybe there's another book in here somewhere.
0: That's right. The herb cutting garden. I would love to see you do that.
1: Oh my gosh. The herb lovers cutting garden. (laughs) I'm going to write that down right now. (laughs) I'll
0: write your forward. (laughs) Exactly. Well, um, Sue, talk about a taste for herbs um this is probably a culmination of of years of uh research just just in your own life of how you cook with herbs and um use herbs for blends and oils and all kinds of um, uh, applications not just you know using dried herbs but more on the fresh herb side
1: right oh yeah absolutely and this this book really was um a com a combination of of what I've been doing for years, some of them were recipes kind of rolling around in my head that I actually had to kind of measure out again and put on paper instead of what I throw in my palm of my hand <laughs> into something to, to flavor it up. So I I actually put these finely into recipe form, into a book, and then, of course, added some new ones that were, were ones I was experimenting with. And, and so to kind of gather them all into one book has just been a real treat, and it is using them in many forms, from dried to right out in the garden, you know out in the garden, back in the kitchen pretty quick.
0: That's so interesting because you're almost doing this from like a sixth sense of how much to snip and and um, tear apart and put on in a salad. but for a book, you actually have to give people more guidance than that. Like, like yeah. quantities.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I tend to not follow recipes. Well, I just kind of, I'm going to throw this in. Oh, this will be good in here. And, and I, I had to come to this, this wonderful realization that if I'm going to have a book about that, I can't just tell people to throw it in the palm of their hand or pinch that. Right. It doesn't work that way. <laughs>
0: right. So you've organized this, um, with some really great sections. One is growing herbs. And so you highlight your 20 favorites for every size garden, including indoors, which I think is really, um, really thoughtful because of the way people are living these days. Not everybody has a garden. Uh,
1: What are some of the tips that you're offering people for bringing their herbs indoors? So indoors and container gardening with herbs is Mm. I, I think is just a way to go. A lot of, most of my herbs I would say unless they're real space takers like rosemary and mm-hmm. lavender, things like that, those are all out in my garden in containers. I just find it easier. I can put them where I can reach them, like mm-hmm. right by the kitchen door. So I go out the door and grab them. But also indoors in my windowsill right now, I have um, some marjoram and I have some chives and I have a scented geranium actually doing really well. And and those things I can cut off of indoors. So it's it's almost like even one pot on your windowsill i mean you're gonna have something some mint or something in there
0: and you're you're obviously trying to have herbs uh fresh herbs of some sort 12 months of the year and and that's that's why you have to i guess most people would have to bring something indoors to get that unless they do live in southern california
1: yeah yeah exactly Is if you do want some sort of fresh flavor and i and i kind of mentioned through the book about how you can Freeze or dry or capture the flavor. So, Mm. if you don't have it inside, but I love the idea that if this would encourage people to have it, you know, and find a sunny windowsill or a countertop where you can maybe put a grow light or something and have some fresh herbs growing makes all the difference in the flavor, especially this time of year when we're a little bit cabin fever under snow and, and, you know, to be able to snip something fresh for tea or, or whatever. Yeah.
0: Talk about what you like to freeze because that, that would be another brilliant way of having that fresh flavor in the middle of of winter.
1: Yeah. And it's easy. That's what I like about it. So to me one of the number one is is basil mm-hmm. it, you know that's a tough one to preserve because when it dries it loses a lot of its flavor and so if you can take basil and even freeze it into ice cubes or kind of um kind of pulse it up in a in a mixer or blender and, and with a little bit of olive oil, you can freeze those into ice cubes. And then you've got that fresh basil flavor captured and you can throw that into soup or stew or melt it down, you know, into another, uh, nice warm soup yeah. and get the flavor just melts right out, tastes fresh, just like it's from the garden. That's a real easy one to do. And chives is another one. You just basically chop up chives and, put them on a cookie sheet, throw that in the freezer and those little bits will freeze up and, <laughs> and put them in a little jar and stick them in the freezer and then grab a teaspoon or whatever you need. Um, pretty, pretty easy to do. And then, it, you know, like I said, the, the herbs don't always have a real recognizable form once they're frozen, but all the flavors there. So mm. putting them into something that you can melt them down into like, like basil in a, a spaghetti sauce Like right. easy. Easy to
0: do, and I like that because it—that sounds a lot easier than the big production of making pesto. You're not talking about adding; you don't have to add the Parmesan and the garlic and all of that. You can just do the a little bit of olive oil and the basil and kind of get the same effect.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're just making a little bit of a paste form mm-hmm. of it is really what you're doing and that is actually one of the recipes in the book an herb paste. You just make a kind of a little mush form and then just fill up um, an ice cube tray each little section with a bit of that paste and then let them freeze up. You can store them in a Ziploc freezer bag and just grab and go and so you have all that flavor kind of basic embedded in there and Mm. ready for you when you need it.
0: Mm. So after your kind of favorite 20 uh, kind of must-have herbs, uh, you added a chapter with just a few unusual or tender herbs. Are these kind of like new
1: flavors that people are just starting to discover? Um, I think a little bit, but also more than anything, that chapter was driven because those are things that if you live in a climate where maybe you're subject to frost or cold weather, they're not going to usually survive very well. And yet, to me, they're really great to have, like stevia. That's that's a pretty hot herb right now. Right. It's that wonderful sweet leaf herb and it doesn't survive, you know, into a frost. And so you you need to harvest it and dry it and have it for your tea. And I wanted to make sure that um, this book could could be for audiences or people that were growing all over the country, whatever their climate is, but that they're not missing out on some of these tender or unusual ones that do add such a really great dose of flavor.
0: Right. Like I have had a bay tree in the past that that I've kind of kept sheltered and used the leaves from, but you have bay in here. It's, Mm -hmm. it's tricky to keep, you know, if you're in a frost zone, it's tricky to keep that bay tree going along unless it's really mature, but lemongrass and saffron, I would never think about growing or having. So those, but those flavors are so delicious. So I love that you have those.
1: Yeah. Super valuable in the flavor mode of, of using. And so if there's any chance that you could try to grow it or understand what it takes to grow it, it's it's worth it. It's worth the experiment. You know, lemongrass is not going to make it through a, a frost, but boy, you can harvest it through the summer right. when it's really up and at it and then even dry some and have it for, for now whenever you want to add it to something.
0: So do you keep, do you have a greenhouse for keeping things in the winter or have you in the past? Like, what's your recommendation for
1: that? (laughs) You know, I, I have a little mini kind of cold house right now that as is, is trying to hold over some lemons. But, um, in the past I always had some sort of greenhouse. I don't right now and in the place that I've moved in, but boy, that is really high on my wish list. Even if I'm just overwintering some things that are a little bit tender so that I can have them bust out in the spring Hmm. and maybe start some seeds and stuff so so i'm going to put that on my wish list right
0: <laughs> and what and what temperature would you like would most of of the tender herbs need to be kept at in a greenhouse um of course i'm asking this for my personal information <laughs> yeah like 40 or 45 or what what yeah. do they need
1: if you're running kind of a cold greenhouse which is what they call that where you're not specifically driving heat out there if you can um keep them Definitely from frost, but 40 is kind of a pain point for a lot of them. And so, if you can keep it at that 40 degrees, whether it's with blankets, you know, heat blankets or something, mm. um, then then you can usually get them to overwinter. Like lemon verbena is a really good example where it will not take a frost very well, but if you keep it in a greenhouse and even at 40, it'll drop all its leaves and look really sad, but it'll bust out in the spring because it hasn't died. It's just kind of gone into a dormant thing. Mm. And that's, that's a great one to stick out in the greenhouse, but yeah, but keeping it at kind of 40 45 is a little that's that's kind of your your limits if you get down to freezing then you've pushed them a little too far I think
0: all right I will try that and report back (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) I
1: of course I love that
0: you have edible flowers in the book and you, you don't have a huge section but you list your favorites um are you seeing that there's sort of an increase in interest um in your foodie crowd of for edible
1: flowers Oh, absolutely. I, I think that, um, I think they've kind of had their moment in the past, but they are, I think, getting more popular and it's just another way, I think, to kind of color up food for Mm -hmm. one thing, but there's Mm -hmm. flavor in there too. Um, nasturtiums, yum. I mean, they're nice and peppery and, and, um, Add beautiful color, so so yeah, they're they're getting their moment, and they definitely need to have a moment.
0: <laughs> well, I think I and I've heard of a lot of members of slow flowers who are uh, perhaps selling flowers at a farmer's market, and they many are creating collections uh, like like you said, kind of the coloring up, like the confetti mix of, of edible flowers that they can sell in a clamshell or in a you know mm-hmm. some kind of bag for people who are wanting to add an unexpected element to salads and uh, or toppings so yeah, I feel like it's a yeah. bit it's not like a hugely profitable category for flower farmers but it's definitely gets people's attention
1: i I agree and I think that um it's you know the flower farmers growing them and and maybe marketing them in that way putting them in a lettuce mix or something at farmers Market is it's really awesome because it's also, to me, a learning thing for mm. people who maybe aren't familiar that they could have, you know, borage or calendula thrown on their salad. But, you know, growers can share that with people and mm. show them a really nice way to use them. And because I've, I've had people go, oh, you can put that on a salad? Absolutely. Try it. Right. You try it. Right. Yeah.
0: It, I think there's very uh, minimal awareness of what flowers are edible among non especially amongst non gardeners. So yeah, it's definitely a way to engage people. Um, so how many recipes do you have, um, in, I mean, you've got recipes for dishes, but also things like mixes and blends, um, and seasonings. So, and rubs, yeah. so you've got a yeah. lot going on here. This is an amazing book. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah. Y- you know, my my main focus in building the recipes which was interesting when i was first starting the book i told um my publisher and the editors that we're, I was working with is, it, oh, there's probably going to be about 50 recipes. And then I just got writing and crazy and over the period of months writing and it ended up being over 100. And they were thrilled because that's a nice number to say there's over 100 recipes. And there are. And the, <laughs> yay. The, yay. I know. That's kind of, you know, the book got a little bigger, but it was great. And the main focus of these recipes through here is to create flavors for main dishes. So there's very few main dishes. Oh, I see. Yeah, I wanted it to really be that you're making things that you can enhance what you cook with already. And and so like if you want to season a a steak or a vinegar to make a salad dressing, um, you can have that base ingredient like a a salt blend or something that you could Mm. add to your food that you want to season and enhance so that's really what this is about is is really flavor from the garden that you can flavor up your recipes with
0: that's kind of makes this book timeless because uh people can adapt whatever they're cooking uh just as you said with this enhancement i love the way you've you've put that together it's it actually makes it more useful than a cookbook.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope so. It, it, it's because it's an experiment. Like I tried to, as I put in an introduction on all the recipes, like you could use this salt on your salad or you could use this vinegar on da whatever yeah. it is, you yeah. know, the butter, the, the, there's mayonnaise, there's butter, there's condiments of all kinds, there's beverages, teas, wine, infused wine, some cocktails, things like that. So it's just really hopefully exciting people to say, oh, I grew this. I turned this into this seasoning ingredient. Now I'm going to make this my favorite culinary dish and it's going to be more enhanced by what I grew or something like that.
0: I love it. It's great. And I think also cooking and gardening do have this intersection that you've tapped into here and that maybe some of your audience's, even people who come hear you next week at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, actually starting today, mm-hmm. uh, well, when this airs on February 20th, um, they may not be gardeners, but if they f- get, in, I don't know, enticed by this idea of having all these flavors and they want to be inspired in the kitchen, maybe you're just subversively getting them
1: interested in gardening. Well, you know, I'd like that to be a bit of a gateway, right? Yeah. <laughs> just, um, you know, especially when, if it's a matter of... Finding a seasoning that, and I'm going to pick on basil again because yeah. that's when people know to plant basil by seed is pretty easy. So if it's it's like, well, I could grow a basil plant, right? Right. Then uh, and then I could make this this thing I saw Sue show me in in the seminar or something, mm-hmm. um, or something for tea, like. Everybody can grow mint, right? Yeah. It's pretty hard to get rid of it, so yeah, anybody it can is. grow it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty easy to. I mean, even a gardener that doesn't think they're much of a gardener, I think, could could grab onto. You'd you know, always say just one herb plant in your windowsill or out in a pot in the garden is gonna get you. You're hooked. You're gonna you're gonna go from there. I think. Well,
0: translating that to this other hat you wear, which is landscape design mm-hmm. um, I know you do full-scale residential gardens that that may I may have just a few herb plants because you're doing all kinds of things like trees and shrubs and borders and beds but how how has it been to uh weave a little bit of herbal design into a larger full-scale garden
1: I think it's been really fun because it's another opportunity for for me to introduce herbs into a landscape. And there's, there's kind of a few that I really like to use, like rosemary and lavender and some of these really nice drought tolerant, for mm-hmm. one thing, plants. But also in, in the landscape design realm, I have a lot of clients right now either asking for, you know, a way for their landscape to give them something back, like mm-hmm. edibles, but also pollinators. Mm-hmm. And that that's pretty huge right now. And then, you know, I, a lot of people say, I want something to smell good. Well, that's kind of the herb world right there.
0: Right. right. Well, yeah. and you mentioned the ones you mentioned with the lavender and the rosemary, especially they're woodier and they have a little bit more of a permanence than maybe a herbaceous perna- uh, herb that comes and goes by season.
1: Exactly, exactly. I use a lot of lavender, rosemary, sage, mm-hmm. some of the common garden sage, things like that, for just exactly the reason you mentioned. They're they're woody and they have a little more substance to them that they add to a landscape rather than kind of have just a moment and disappear.
0: Well, we we alluded to the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, which starts February twentieth and goes for mm-hmm. five days in downtown mm-hmm. Seattle. Uh, north, uh, it's at the Washington State Convention Center, and I'll be sure to put links to Sue's presentations in our show notes today. What are you going to be um, teaching in your workshops uh, at the at the flower festival?
1: Well, I think they're they're fun. So the 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 one that I'm presenting on the twentieth um, is. It's on the DIY stage, so it's that hands-on stage that you have at, you know, where you can really—and this is my real show and smell moment—and it is based on this book. Oh, cool! So I'm gonna pass around um, rosemary, smoked salt, and and you know butters and vinegars and things for people to smell and kind of get their their a real kind of hit on flavor. Mm -hmm. So that's really what that one's about. And then on the 21st, I'm actually doing. Um, as part of a trio of speakers, we're all talking about herbs in one of the 101, the Garden 101 series. And mine is on container gardening with herbs, which is, I think, huge. And so a bunch of my favorite herbs that you can grow in containers. And then I also have a little bit of a recipe that goes, or a recipe handout that goes with that talk where if you grow this in a container, here's what you can make out of it. So I have a (laughs) Brilliant. And
0: then when when we were, I was asking you about your involvement in the show garden, I know you are a past gold medal designer uh, at past flower and garden shows, uh, multiple uh, awards that you've won. Uh, This is a kind of a unique um, garden because it's sponsored basically by the flower show itself, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the one that I'm, I'm working through this year is, is really a nice design element of herbs, of course, which is, you know, yeah. got to be, of course. Uh, but it is a sponsored garden with the show. So it's a wonderful aspect where um, we're able to share and work with um, some people in this that have also things they want to share mm. with the audience as well. So
0: so kind of like a de- demonstration garden throughout the five days. It is, yeah, yeah, it is, which is great, right? Yeah. Because apparently, I'm going to do something on Thursday, the twenty first, on um, cutting gardens. So I'll probably see you there. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but you just mentioned you just mentioned that you're going to design an herb, herb spiral. So, oh my gosh, I can only imagine how beautiful that will be. Is that like um, do is, do people see those sorts of things and then want you to design them for their gardens, or what is it exactly?
1: So it's it's just really a a way to look at how you can grow herbs, I think it's attractive. I think mm-hmm. it's an aesthetic thing more mm-hmm. than they want herbs, but it kind of is a how you pattern them in the garden mm-hmm. so that they create something that not only is pretty but it also is useful and so the herbs just kind of create this spiral pattern and we're we're working through that because we're hopefully we'll have enough for this time of year which was my goal right right (laughs) it's always tricky to to force things in time
0: of for february but i guess i can picture it in my mind's eye because there's the golden herbs and the silver and silvery blue herbs and the pure green herbs like you have a diversity of color in that spectrum, mm-hmm.
1: right? Absolutely the, the color diversity and the leaf texture diversity as well. I mean the larger leaves as compared to small like thyme mm-hmm. and things like that. So so it's it's really how they're placed next to each other to just create this pattern. And, and and it forms a spiral to the center of it. So Ooh. it's 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 going to be interesting. I they're they're popular and and you see them if, if it, you know if you were to look up herb spiral on the internet you'd see a lot of photos, especially in the permaculture world. Got it. They're really popular because um, of the, but me- I think the Mediterranean. The, that, yeah. Drought and it, tolerant. And it, yeah. Yeah. And also being able to grow a large amount of plants in a smaller space. That's really what it's about as well. But I think that it's just not, you just don't see them very often. And so I thought this would be a fun way to share at the show.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think there'll be a lot of Instagram uh, hashtag herb spirals showing up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd be good with that. That's good. A little bit more of that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So how much uh, of your, um, your workshop teaching does involve um, recipes and tips from the spa book, because I feel like there that's that popularity has only increased since your book came out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As far as the the kind of skincare and spa kind of nurturing part of herbs, that has not lost momentum since the, I mean, it has, it, it still is a very highly requested talk. And I love doing that one because that's another show and smell moment, but it's more, put this on your hands and you can feel the um, how softening it is, mm-hmm. but also the aromatherapy, the aromatics of uh, you know, just take a inhale mint, and all of a sudden you feel energized, and it, just all of those things. Those, it's just that sensory thing that you just can't get enough of when you have herbs around you.
0: And as I recall, you've got recipe like sections in that book as well. I couldn't, I couldn't find it yeah. on my
1: shelf before I called you,
0: so I'm it'll show up, some, <laughs> it'll show up yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> but, yeah, But you kind of organized it by, um, did you organize it by treatment or by type of, of herb?
1: It's it's really more, so it, it's laid out very, very similar to Taste for Herbs, where there's a section on growing. So I talk about individual herbs, and that one has 19 herbs that I talk about. And then also there's recipes, and there's like 48 recipes in there, and they're basically grouped by more like a theme like facials or or, um, a foot scrub or, you know, things like that. So, so that you can just kind of go, what's my, what's my thing I want to nurture right now. (laughs) You just find that (laughs) chapter.
0: Well, and Sue, when you uh, are at the flower show, you're, and you'll be doing book signings after your presentations, you'll have both books there probably. So people can check that out uh, if they come to the flower show. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And um, of course, uh, they can find you at your website and uh, you do have more than one website now, or is it all under creative gardener?
1: So I have the creative gardener.com, but also, um, into the herb realm, I have herbloversgarden.com. Mm. And mm. that's really where I'm blipping some favorite recipes or something new to discover about an herb that, that kind of tends to fall into that, uh, that website. And so that's, and that's where you can find the book as well. It's more, yeah, it's more specific to herbs and your, the creative gardener has your lectures
0: and your consulting and your design work. Um, Yes. Yeah. And what was this thing you've been doing on Instagram? I absolutely love it where you will take (laughs) a a classic or a vintage gardening book. You'll pluck a favorite quote out of it and put it on a post-it note that is legible. And I love
1: that. Oh, Thank you. Are you still doing that? I am. I I'd love to do it more often, but it's just kind of a whim. I have a, a huge garden library that takes up most of my living room (laughs) and I, I love it. And these books are like, they're my companions. We'll call them that. And, and I, I thought, you mean, well, as opposed to your obsession, exactly, exactly. I don't want, you know, I don't want to talk about the obsession, but it is that. And, um, I thought it would be fun, especially some of the older books that maybe you just don't see all the time. You know, there's, there's a lot of parts of these books over the years, many years that I've maybe underlined something or I found little sticky notes that I had put in there. And so a few years ago, I I thought, well, I'm just gonna write this quote and stick it on Instagram. So now I have the hashtag sticky book quote. And and that basically is something I find in these books. And sometimes it's, it's a little obscure, like, really, are we doing this in our gardens? And sometimes it's just inspiration. And um, it's really caught on. And it's been fun. And I've actually had people say they've gone out and bought the book because of that. And that's exactly why I want to do it. It's like, well, there's a lot of stuff you can delve into and, and maybe if this is a little tease, so it's just been something fun and I actually love doing it.
0: I love it too. So uh, I was just looking at the hashtag. Now you've got over 80 Mm -hmm. uh, of these already posted under that hashtag at creative gardener on Instagram. Yeah. And here's one that I just happened to open. It's uh, the sunflower houses book by Sharon Lovejoy, who we (laughs) both know and love. And you wrote, You wrote, on your post-it note, my summer home is the fairest of all with a morning glory roof and sunflower walls. So it's just like, they're like little sentiments, almost like
1: meditations. And I love that you're doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it, it, and hopefully it gives as much a nod to the author and their words too, that people are like, well, who is this person? If they don't know the author to dive in and see, they have something kind of special. Well,
0: and yeah. And in today's day and age, you can find used books pretty easily online. So even Mm -hmm. if book is out of print it's it's obtainable or the library has it
1: exactly and I I know that all too well because that's my obsession
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh I love it I'm
1: glad I I'm glad I thought to ask you about that because I've I've admired
0: that so much and I know I've hit the heart like you know the love but I don't know if I've ever told you personally how how clever Ah, I thought that is thank you (laughs) yeah well Sue. before we wrap up I I'm going to shift to the cutting garden uh topic because um obviously uh, you alluded to the fact that herbs are great elements uh, for cut people wanting to do floral arranging and, and cut herbs for, for their vases. Um, I have seen a, a number of unique herbs being uh, favored by flower farmers and farmer florists because they add so much to the bouquet. Uh, do you have some favorites that you you know, let yourself cut for the vase instead
1: of for your kitchen? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, there are a few. I actually really like to use uh, rosemary because Mm -hmm. that's a quick, easy one. But even when you get down into, there's a beautiful oregano called Hopley's purple, Mm. which, and lavender, of course, cut flower into there. And some of the yarrows, I mean, there's some things that are, are classified as herbs, but they're really great cut flowers. That's true. That's um, true. And to me, in a bouquet, what they give is not only their color, but there's some aroma. And that's that's really very cool when you can have fresh, especially a bunch of fresh lavender is just a little slice of heaven right there.
0: <laughs> well, what's it, what you're alluding to is so important is that the it seems to be human nature to pick a flower or whole, be given a bouquet. And what is the first thing we do? We
1: put our nose in it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so when you could have a flower, because a lot of, we know this as, as you know, when we're growing cut flowers is is a lot of times it's for the color and Mm -hmm. the beauty and there's maybe just a little bit of scent lacking but if you've got something in there with aroma like sweet peas and things like that there's just that's just what makes the bouquet and most flower farmers know that they they know that sensory moment when that someone walks up to their their stand at the farm, you know, at the at the market and go, ah, oh, their eyes just ah oh, because of the fragrance. It's
0: our yeah, it's our expectation, and we're so often disappointed. So the herb, yeah, the herbal ingredient can be like the secret ingredient to yeah um, add. Some fabulous fragrance when maybe the flowers don't have much scent. So exactly, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Great. Well, I mm-hmm. um I should send you the list of of herbs that um the folks at Johnny's Seeds have recommended for the cut flower grower uh, yeah. crowd because some of them I don't want to throw them under the bus here, but some of them are more attractive and fragrant than than they are flavorful, and you know, so uh-huh. that that's probably how ca- herbs get categorized anyway and you know the culinary yeah. ones versus the the ornamental ones. And so uh, I suppose you can have a mix in your garden. You don't have to just devote uh, your herb garden to just
1: cooking. You can be for aromatherapy and it can be for cutting. Absolutely. I think it'd be a shame to kind of limit yourself, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean there's because there's a lot of herbs that you don't eat. And like yarrow is a beautiful cut flower, especially moonshine, the, the, the bright yellow one and, and roses. I mean, those are edible, but most people will grow them for cutting and, and sage and lavender and all of those things that, and there's even a beautiful calendula that I know Johnny's has mm-hmm. for a cut flower.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so you know, as, as flower growers, you can say this is an herb bouquet, and it really is oh. as beautiful as a flower bouquet. Oh, I love that. Hey, yeah. we,
0: Sue, I should have asked you, but I'm going to just end with this. Okay. Is there a definition of what is an herb? I guess we just sort of assume that everyone is using the same language, and I don't know that I'm using it correctly.
1: You know, I I think that we don't want to limit ourselves. So, so let's say an older definition was that it was an herbaceous plant mm. that uh, but to me, I think a more apt definition is a plant that we grow for its usefulness. Mm. That that maybe in history at one time it may have been used for medicine or food or 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 healing or something. So it's classified as an herb. But in our world, as we use them, so if you're using it in cooking, if you're z- using it in flower bouquets, if you're using it for skin care, then if it's, if it's healthful and useful, it's, it's an herb. That's mm. how I like to look at it. You've just enlarged my universe of herbs. I love it. <laughs> yes. I love it too. <laughs> well, will you share some
0: photos that I can um, put on today's show notes or maybe a recipe or two uh, oh, from yeah. the book?
1: Sure. Sure. I'd oh, love to.
0: That's wonderful. Sue, by the way, did you do the photography in a taste for herbs?
1: I did a few of a a little few of them were done also by my daughter Courtney who's a apt wonderful eye in photography but most of it I did do we did do all of it ourselves so it's beautiful it's beautiful and
0: congratulations and um I'm so glad that we could talk about this before your busy week at the flower festival and I'm sure lots of speaking gigs following that to you'll have a calendar of your uh appearances listed at um your website right
1: Yeah, I gonna. I need to update it. But yeah, they're starting to come in fast and furious for the spring. So um, I I say I'm going to have a motto, grow more herbs. I'm going to show you how. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great.
0: Thank you so much, Sue. It's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. And I know that so many flower growers are also herb growers. So this will be immensely relevant and inspiring uh, to our listeners. I hope so. Yeah, that would be the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining my conversation with Sue Getz of A Taste for Herbs. You can find all of Sue's herb-related content and details about her two books, her lectures, and lots of recipes at her new website, herbloversgarden.com. Our second sponsor spotlight today is a thanks to Northwest Green Panels. Based in Madras, Oregon, Northwest Green Panels designs and constructs a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses, offering versatility, style, and durability. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon made using twin-wall polycarbonate manufactured in Wisconsin, making Northwest Green Panel structures a great value for your backyard. The 8x8-foot modern slant greenhouse has become the essential hub of my cutting garden. Check out photos of my greenhouses in links I'll post in today's show notes, or just visit northwestgreenpanels.com to see more. And now let's meet Robin Tabor of Blue Door Farm, who shares a Colorado flowers spotlight. I first met Robin through her friend and fellow Colorado flower farmer, Megan McGuire of Red Daisy Farm, a Slow Flowers member and past guest of this podcast. We both traveled to the Denver area in 2016 to stay at Meg's wonderful farm and participate in a slow flowers potluck as well as attend the field to vase dinner. At the Fresh Herb Company. It impressed me that Robin traveled 250 miles all the way across the state to be part of this gathering. It's not unusual for flower people to do that sort of thing, and we had a wonderful time together with Meg and also Andrea K. Grist, who joined us from Kansas City. I have a cute photo of our time together to share with you in today's show notes. Robin is deaf and she communicates by lip reading. In our conversation, you'll hear her speak with a mild accent. Her husband, Mark Tabor, assisted us during the Skype interview. The full transcript of our conversation can be found in today's show notes at DeborahPrincing.com, where you will also see photos and find links to Blue Door Farm and all of Robin's upcoming creative projects. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I'm so happy today to welcome my guest, Robin Tabor of Blue Door Farm. Hi, Robin. Hi, Deborah. I am so glad we're going to talk about Colorado and flower farming in Colorado. Clearly, you can't represent the whole state, <laughs> it's a big state. But can you tell us where you're located and a little about your flowers?
2: Thank you for encouraging so many flower farmers in the United States and seen. I appreciate your time. Thank you. is the largest city in Washington, Colorado, about 30 miles from Utah, Colorado. We are a small farm with five acres, a practice a very small flower field and a high tunnel. And we have a vacation rental on the farm. Um... We're, we're different because we're between Marab, Utah, Western Utah, and the Grand Mesa. So, right between Deadwood and Tundra. So, it's a very different strip of climate. We're surrounded by seafood and apples, um, and it's just hot and dry. Can you talk
0: about your style of floral arranging and your, your specialty as a farmer
2: florist? Um, my specialty is freestyle style, floraling, growing and gathering a mix of flowers and branches. Um, I look for unusual colors, shapes, and texture. I really like to mix dry and flowers, um, but in different ways that you not see in the grocery store. Right. I make my own at home in the kitchen. And then my husband delivered them. You can order your own through the website or by email. And are you mainly selling in Grand Junction to local customers? Yes. Okay. Local customers and then some weddings and things. But I'm available New England. That's
0: amazing. What are your primary crops that you grow? Um I know you're, 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 I don't even know what zone you're in, but it's a unique growing
2: condition, right? It's a unique area. So it's not like the typical <laughs> when you could <can> grow anything. <laughs> it's really hot and dry and limited. Mm-hmm. I grow a limited variety of flowers because of the heat. I grow small quantities for me, not for wholesale. Okay. I specifically want Unusual colors and shapes and smell, fragranting. Hmm. Um, my favorite things include fragrant herbs like Thai, lemon, and lung veda, scented um, geranium, eucalyptus, lavender, rosemary, parmesan, sriracha, sandalgo, celestia, vinegar, dusty myrrh, strawflower, status, and sunflower. Things that can take specific temperature and heat,
0: and it, it, it's it's the heat in the summer, but the cold in the winter as well, right? Yes. Extreme. Yeah. Uh, describe your property and what is Blue Door Farm? How how big is it? And and you know, we've talked a little bit about the challenges of growing, but describe your farm.
2: Um, it's five acres of to we are very really rocky, just a mix of rock and clay. So it's a sandy clay loam, and it's hard it's hard to work with heavy clay, mm-hmm. and hot and dry. Yep. Um, we imported soil for the high tunnel. We brought in tough soil, mm. but lighter. We have That's- our... 500 square feet. So it's small. In one half tunnel and one outdoor field. We definitely need drip irrigation. Um, we didn't need pump a pump from and water from the canal, and then we drip irrigation to landscape fabric. We can keep up with the weeds because of the landscape fabric. Um, our property is pasture, and we have lots of a lot of grasses rabbit broth, umbrella, machine, some empty. We're surrounded by several hundred acres and my other words are peaches and apples they provide your food. So we're surrounded by farmers that grow fruit and vegetables and I buy from them what I can't grow. And you do some foraging then too, right? I do. I gather it's a greenery, seed patch, grassy, right on our property. Wow. Wild, wild asparagus, um, rabbit brush. I always have trippers and buckets in the car. So <laughs> that's in my mouth. I can bring something home that's unusual. Just a crispy, curvy branches, green tomatoes, seed patch, anything that will last and add variety to the um, peace blooming fruit Francis. Yes. Which come in the neighborhood.
0: Robin, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this, but is there a Colorado look for floral design or that, or maybe one that
2: you've adapted to your style? That's a very good question, yes. I, I had a hard time writing that thing in my description. There's definitely a Southwestern natural look that mm-hmm. everybody from. It's a combination of uh, the unexpected curve or twist in a branch that goes off to the side, or not in many green, um, basic the branches, but just a very simple twist. And, and, and
0: informal,
2: I, kind of, right? More informal? Yes. Yeah. We style informal. I don't anything in the arrangement that I don't talk my house, my window the up for the, the rung home and <laughs> <laughs> um who is your customer? You
0: talked about selling locally. Um, are you mainly selling uh to uh brides from your area or destination brides? What what do you call your, your client, your ideal client?
2: Um my customers find food farm by word of mouth. I have a lot of local customers, friends, of friends who've seen me on Instagram. And said, so they find me for an anniversary, for my birthday, their daughter's wedding, that's word of mouth. I have about half of my market customers from out of town, even out of state, out of the country. I think that's on Google. Um, or on Instagram and they must me me, and they're looking for something different. Something they clear something unique. They really like they'll and in the different shape. Yeah. You've diversified considerably at Blue
0: Door Farm. You're not just a floral designer or a farmer florist. You have a lot of other projects and and uh I guess, various aspects of your business. Could you talk a little bit about how you've diversified?
2: Um, Definitely. We have the combination of my home studio with flowers at home. But we also have a vacation rental. i on the phone. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's brand new, bright, sunny, beautiful. Sounds it's wonderful. Beautiful of the valley. That vacation rental is available year-round. Mm-hmm. Airbnb and home away. I love it. I love having customers come and see the high tunnel and be part of the flower farm and the property and then have a private retreat. It's very much a private um, get Yeah, That's the vacation one. Mm-hmm. Something for 2019. I've been doing two different kinds of workshops. One is just local people, moms and daughters, friends. Husband and wife, mm-hmm. come and do a, a two hour workshop on the property in the high tunnel and just make their movements and have fun. It's a relaxing room. Other thing is, a professional artist named Diana DePrussell, who's a funder man, she's wonderful. And last October, she and I hosted a two day professional painting workshop. And Daddy I nice art- I had a in the work and made arrangements in the high tunnel with one and see. And we spent your days painting that same arrangement. Wow. It was fabulous. Diana was fabulous. And we're going to do that again. It sounds wonderful. And another way to get people interested in flowers. Exactly. And we, the people came, and we, we included green tomatoes, lettuce, milk, and other arrangements. Oh, I, I love mean, it. Yeah, and see what happened. So, <gasps> um, in 2019, I-, I love to collect green food basin, an unusual container, and my daughter's paint beautiful um botanical painting. And I like to collect linen cart, unusual oil painting and wood cut. So I'm gonna I'm hoping to put on my website. Uh Different platform where people can buy vintage food basin and botanical related. Print. They uh, and just expand the business that way too. Yeah, they it all goes with flowers, right? Yes, it's all botanical related. Now if I see something a vintage or a uh, food packing box that I can put out and I want my customers to see that and appreciate that. That's wonderful. Robin before I want to close in a minute, but I have to ask you
0: about the name Blue Door Farm. You, where did that come from?
2: Um, my is blue. <laughs> I love the color blue with the dark blue. And I tried to come up with a name for the farm for over a year. I woke up at night. I talked to friends. I couldn't, I couldn't come up with a name. But my is blue. And I wanted people to feel like they could come in i will just walk into my living room and be at home. Mm-hmm. And so finally I said, okay, I'm going to name it Blue Door Home. And that's where I came from. Because I want you to come in and just be part of the family. Right. It really talks about place. Yeah. It, it's home. The it's connection.
0: Place. Well, this has been really fun. And I I think our listeners will get a sense of, you and your flowers, because you're sharing photos with me that we'll put on the show notes today. Uh, but I'd love to hear a little bit, bit about your journey to flowers. What drew you to growing
2: and designing? First, my grandparents, well, on both sides of my family, my grandparents loved cotton. My grandparents at the home love grew tomatoes and sunflowers, And I remember being out there with him. Um that tall cramps over my head, and I was with my grandpa, and I first buffer. My grandma in Chicago, and my great grandma, who didn't and I first buffer when I was outside with them. Um, I was one for a family that, and nothing never a hero. means that my other include, or oh, father. It means I see things differently. And I noticed more detail. I think, the connection I can't hear. I'm not distracted. So I'm always looking at color and shape and texture. It just stands out to me. And I want my family and my customers to see that detail too. But basically, I think outside the box. That's that's my personality. And those important may have always felt like plants and flowers were because they see alive love in every language, without words, without having to hear it, without saying, I love you. They, they say that they flower, and that's important to me. That's a beautiful way to describe
0: your unique point of view in the flower world that maybe no one else has thought about. It's really powerful, Robin. I, I'm inspired. Thank you. <laughs> it's so great to hear from you and to connect, and I just want to thank you for giving us a little snapshot of Grand Junction and your corner of Colorado today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of sharing and talking to you De. Oh thank my gosh, Art in this South. Valley.
0: Thanks, Robin. and I want people who don't know about Blue Door Farm to find and follow you on all your social places. So we'll share that today, too. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. And Mark, thanks for uh, assisting today. You're welcome. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey today, seeking new and inspiring voices, people with passion, heart, commitment, and expertise to share with you. I hope today's episode gave you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise. What you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else. Well, this was a week of highlights, including lots of great press attention for slow flowers during the lead up to Valentine's Day. I'll share all of those links in our March newsletter. So if you're not a subscriber, you may wish to sign up at DebraPrinsing.com. Truly, we have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at Deborah. Princing.com. Our final sponsor. thank you this week goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com the slow Flower summit is five months away on july 1st and 2nd in st paul minnesota we just wrapped up a very successful Valentine's day valentine's day promotion for the slow Flower summit generating new registrations to bump us well over the 50 percent sold out mark for the third annual summit i owe a big bouquet of thanks to event manager karen thornton of Avenue 22 Events, and social media manager Nisha Blancas of Fetching Social Media for all their extra effort to make that event happen. Make your way to SlowFlowersSummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us. From flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm, to business and branding presentations, to interactive and inspiring design sessions, all designed to serve you. Subscribe to Summit news and updates at SlowFlowersSummit.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 411,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you all. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.